Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, and as usual, we cannot get the audio to work. Well, this is what happens when I'm <laughs> when I am monitoring the board. No expectation. To, there's just not much of an expectation for me. What can I say? Seth and Sean Sports Radio. Seth Kim and Sean Palmer. Seth from his very comfortable apartment for the next four weeks on the Upper East Side. Sean in another country. But these are the these are the things that we do. These are the this is what we do to bring you the best podcast, the best sports podcast out there. On a weekly basis. Absolutely. Mr. Palmer, how you doing? No question about it. Yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm in Canada. Oh, Canada. Yes, Toronto. Toronto. We bring the show from multi nations. Fantastic stuff here, where they don't believe in Donald Trump. Well, neither do Seth and I. So that makes <laughs> many people. But so, we do have hands. Well, we do have hands. Beautiful well, hands. Anyway. But well, the well, one well, thing okay. that we don't, we don't want to, nobody wants to talk about. Nobody wants to talk about huge hands. But you, you started off with the national enough. anthem, and I guess that's kind of where we just have to go with. We have to start with it, it, uh, Colin Kaepernick deciding to to protest, you know, to, sh- to to show a protest by sitting during the national anthem. Absolutely. Look, and, First Amendment rights. First Amendment rights. You, you, look, I do not believe he did it in the best of ways. I do not believe that he did it in the right way. I don't believe that I would have done the same thing, but I fully believe that he has the right to do it. Um, look, not not even the legal part of my life, but just the moral part of my life. The one thing that we have constantly, and I say we, being the United States, have constantly gone to war for is to protect the civil liberties of our citizens. Far none. That is what we go to war for. That is what we fight for. That is what we celebrate. That is what we are celebrating on Monday at Labor Day is the concept that you can work and do what you need to do to make a living. I don't care if Colin Kaepernick, $40 an hour, $0.40 an hour, or $100 million over six years. The amount of money that this man makes has no bearing on my opinions on this. He is an American citizen. He is in the United States. He can sit his butt down during the national anthem the same way that you and I can stand up for it. And nobody should give him criticism criticism for that, especially not me. Yeah, no, I, I tend I actually tend to agree. Um and I realize that's kind of an easy way out after you articulated kind of what had been going through my head. And, you know, I, I as those of you who have listened to, my, to the show before know, and if anyone wants to call in and discuss it, uh, the phone number is 760-283-0846. I don't believe the national anthem should be sung before every game. And so for me, the whole idea that this is his protest, I find I, I, don't, he, I don't – again, I, I agree with that he has the right to do it. And I, I read this, and this kind of makes sense. I agree he has the right to do it but I'm also allowed to think he's an a-ho for doing so. And that's kind of the well, reality of Seth, it. Um, Seth, he, he's not the first person to do it. Let, no, let's understand. he's not. I, I know you're, you're making a big issue 60s. out of it. I mean, it goes am back I, to Am I making a big issue out of it? 
No, no, no. I mean, you mean collective you. Not you. Not you. Not you. The media has made an enormous issue out of this. Right. Okay. Carlos Delgado did it when the Mets were, when he was on the Mets. I mean, it's been done before, except, truth be told, Colin Kaepernick has been more articulate on why he's done it than anybody else. And And to that point, I'm okay with why he's doing it. Again, I don't believe it's the right forum, but if that's the forum that he wants to bring up a protest, more power to him, and quite frankly, you can't cut him if you're, well, you can cut him, but he's still going to get paid if you're the 49ers. So for those that are saying he's an NFL player, he's earning $11.9 million, and because of that, he shouldn't show his First Amendment rights, um, yeah, you're never going to get me on that one. Ever. No, and I, and I agree. And I probably, as I said, I was kind of speaking as, as a collective. What I've seen is not that me personally believes that he's, a, he's an a-hole for doing this. Um, but that seems to be the consensus of what I've seen is he has the right to do it, but the way he's handled it is not come up. He's extremely articulate and he's allowed his, he's allowed, he's allowed to show his beliefs and people are allowed to respond in nature. And, Absolutely. you know, the consent, the consent, it's been, as far as I've read, and I've read a decent amount about this, it's been about a 50-50 split on whether people think he has the right to do it or not. And, again, you know, Sean and I are kind of in the same, in agreement that he does. However, the way that it was handled and the way, in the, and, you know, that he should have done it, regardless of the rationale, the thought process has been that he is, you know, that he's been wrong, he's, or that there's, he is in the minority in believing if this is the way it should have been handled. But, okay, you know, that is his... He's in, Seth, he's not wrong. There's nothing wrong, in my opinion. There is nothing wrong I'm about not saying what you I'm, I'm talking from the consensus. I'm not saying from you. No, 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 and I get you. I get you. But what I'm saying yeah. is I'm making this perfectly clear. There is nothing wrong with what he did. You can believe no, in I what agree. he did... You, you can say, you being the collective, being, you being our audience, you can believe in what he did. You can believe that he was wrong. You can believe that he was right. You can believe that he's against America by doing this. He's showing the exact same gumption that a picketer does at his own employer. He's doing the exact same thing that somebody outside of Verizon store by holding up a picket sign does. He is protesting what he believes is fair, unfair treatment, period. Yeah. Doesn't matter whether it's unfair treatment by the government. Doesn't matter whether it's unfair treatment by his boss. He believes that there is unfair treatment. Why is this any different than, Car- than LeBron James, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony getting up during some award show and saying there's bad blood, that something needs to be done. He's just doing it on his stage. Would I like him to do something with his checkbook to help that out? Yeah, I would. He's $11.9 million. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he is entitled to do it, whether he earns $11 million or 11 cents. Still entitled to do it. Spoken like a true attorney. Quite articulate, Mr. Palmer. I'm kind of impressed. <laughs> yeah, thanks. But anyway. And, 
Yeah, I'd rather go on to others. I, I would rather almost not give this as much publicity as it seems wait, to have gotten along the road. But, but, Seth, let me ask this. Why not? Why would you not want to give this publicity as to he made a statement? I'd rather talk about – oh, no, no, I don't care about it in that regard. I'd just rather talk about other sports. We just spent the first okay, – I don't want to spend the half hour talking about it. That's all. Okay, oh, that's no, no, fair. I don't we have look. other sports like other football? We have other football. Your ex quarterback was football. cut. What are you? I mean, I know you're going into your 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 and we're going into fantasy time uh, in the next, over the next week or so, as are most of our listeners. We did our fantasy last week, and we'll talk college football. Or excuse me, it's college football later this afternoon and later. Jesus, this is what happens when you're up till three o'clock in the morning with your five week old. Um, college football oh, okay. at the bottom of the hour, and we have our NFL preview next week. Um, Correct. Your, your, your ex-quarterback, meaning Mr. Sanchez, couldn't Wait, beat he, out. He wasn't cut. He wasn't cut. He, there expect, I thought he was. I thought he was being cut today. It has not happened yet. No, no, it has not happened yet because they may. He may agree to a reduced salary in which they would not cut him. I don't think that that's okay. smart for Denver, but, that is but the only, it may happen now. That is the only reason at this point why he is. He. Trevor Simeon, a seventh-round pick from Northwestern, who's thrown one pass in his career. How did this happen? Where did Trevor Simeon come from? And has John Elway, I mean, obviously someone quite knowledgeable in the quarterback, in knowing what qualities a quarterback needs to succeed in the NFL, how did he come up with Trevor Simeon? Hello. Some hold on, hold no, on. Sometimes you were, you were okay. So I was in an elevator. I apologize. You, no worries. Did you hear you hear my question? No, I did not. We're kind of. My thought was, how did? Uh, now we're talking about John Elway, uh, someone who knows, who knows what 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 qualities, what attributes are necessary to be a successful quarterback. What do you think he saw in Trevor Simeon that allowed him, A, to let Brock Osweiler go, and B, to beat out Mark Sanchez, a, 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 uh, you know, a, a somewhat challenged but still competent NFL quarterback for the job? Someone that no, nobody else ever saw. He wasn't even on most people's free agent radars. And he ended up being drafted by, by in the seventh round by uh, Denver last year. And now he's going to be a starting quarterback when they play Carolina next week? Well, I think a lot of it Seth, has to do – the first question was how, what did he see in him to let Brock, Brooks Osweiler go? I think if you got Brooks Osweiler on the same contract that you got Trevor Simeon, this would be a no-brainer. Sure. This would be – I agree. He would have kept Brooks Osweiler. The fact was he didn't believe that Brooks Osweiler was worth the money. That's as simple as it gets. $17 million a year for a guy that has eight starts, he doesn't believe that he's worth that. Once you get past that concept, then you're in the concept of what does he see in Trevor Simeon, say, last year that caused him to draft him. I don't think it's a straight apples to apples with him and Osweiler because you do have, yeah, I, I don't know, $16 million difference. So yeah, he acquired, $72 million. I, oh, yeah, $67 million difference. Sorry, continue. So 
he's got he's got Mark Sanchez, who he acquired for a conditional seventh round pick. So basically, that's a no brainer because you got Trevor Simeon, who is a free agent, not a free agent, he's drafted in the seventh round, and you're trying him out, and you bring in a quarterback who you know can produce or you think of produce. And again, it's a conditional seventh round pick. So what are you really giving up? Not much. If they cut him by tomorrow, by the beginning of the season, they won't owe him anything except one million dollars. I think. I think. His, um, I thought it went from seven. I thought it went from seven to two point five. Is it? Is he only down to a million dollars if they cut him? Yeah, I think it's it, it's three point five if they keep him. Uh, plus the million that they've earned, that they they have to pay him. So I think it's four point five in total if they keep him, and uh, one point one million if they don't. So it's an, it's a three point five million dollar delta. So the okay. concept is that this delta. Look at is, look at this legal guy using quantitative <laughs> finance words. <laughs> so it's uh, a matter I, of is it is it worth the three point five million dollars? on the cap to have him as, say, a third – is he the third quarterback? Or is he even better than Paxton Lynch, who they really want to start anyway, who I believe will start probably by, say, October 30th. And I think that's where, that's where the difference is for John Elway, is how much confidence do I have in Mark Sanchez – because I know what I'm getting with Mark Sanchez. I don't know what I'm getting with these two other guys. And my defense is Super Bowl caliber anyway. So, and is there any upside to Mark Sanchez? And there isn't. You know what you get from Mark Sanchez. You get Eli Manning light. You get one pit, one throw that's obviously going to be a duck. You don't get the, the okay. arm strength of Eli Manning. And you don't get two Super Bowls. But you do get the butt fumble. And that's all that really matters. So three weeks into into uh, preseason, what have been your takeaways? Well, my takeaways are hard. that the Broncos are still the Broncos are still playing superior superior defense, and I think that that will be leading the West division with that type of defense. And if they can get Trent Dilfer type numbers out of their two quarterbacks they're going to be headed back to the AFC championship game, in my opinion. So that's number one. Number two, there are lots and lots of injuries coming out of the NFL in this preseason. And who knows how many are going to make the regular season start. That's number two. And number three being, is Brooks Osweiler really worth $17 million? I mean, it's amazing to me that he was paid that much money especially when, as you and I both know, he never met Bill O'Brien before the damn contract was signed. What are your takeaways? My takeaways, the Brock Osweiler thing was amazing before that. Nothing has changed in my mind. You know, I, you know there's, nothing, there's nothing really to even consider. $72 million for Brock Osweiler is mind-boggling. I think... What are my thoughts? I, I think it's football season. I think I think preseason doesn't mean a lot. I think once again we have, except for, except from an injury standpoint, and when you look at the best rookie quarterback out there, it hasn't been Jared Goff so far. It hasn't been Paxton Lynch. 
or Carson Wentz. It's been Dak Prescott down in Dallas, who is, you know, people are making out to be the next whatever you want to call him. And Prescott, who was phenomenal last year at Mississippi State, but fell kind of partially because of a DWI he got in April. Um, we'll see how that plays out. I do not have a great deal of confidence in my Giants at this point. But, again, preseason has never meant too much in that regard. I mean, obviously the biggest thing of the preseason is, is, is Brady being out for four weeks. We all know New England will survive nicely without him. And most importantly, that in two days, I'm going to be the first person, I think, ever to have drafts, three, have three drafts, three fantasy football drafts in one afternoon last night. And, God, is that going to be awful. Um, but, you know, and next, but now everything is for all intents and purposes done. There is no, you know, the fourth, the fourth preseason game, everyone believes is relatively useless. Most of the starters don't play more than a drive. And it's time, it's time to kind of time to come back and, you know, time to see where everything plays out. And we'll have that discussion in much more detail when we do our NFL preview next week. Uh, so do you want to switch to bait? I'm sorry, please. Hold on a second. Do you feel that, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. Do you have confidence in Dak Prescott in, in Dallas? Actually I do, but I'm not sure I do as a rookie. Um, I, and that has nothing to do with even his preseason, which obviously has been very, very good. His preseason, I don't worry about. I don't, I don't take into account the preseason as much as I guess other people do when it comes to this kind of stuff. But to me, Prescott, I thought was a stud at Mississippi State. I really did. And I was kind. Of, he kind of he got it, his, the end of his the end of their year. He was just wasn't as good. The team fell apart a little bit. But he was a really good quarterback, and I don't – I think there's legitimacy there. I don't think it's going to be per se this year. I don't see him – you know, I, I, I don't see him leading Dallas to a Super Bowl by any stretch. And, I mean, Tony Romo will be back in a, by week eight anyway. But I think he'll be able to – I think he'll be able to manage – again, I don't know Dallas's schedule the first four or five weeks, but the NFC East is not exactly the uh, – it's not exactly the AFC Central, or the or the or the it's not it's not or the NFC West, I guess, for that matter. It's not a brutally difficult division. So if he plays six games or seven games and they can go three and four, they'll survive nicely with him. That that that'll be enough to survive before Romo comes back, if Romo can come back. Sure. The issue is with, and you compare Dak Prescott having that great offensive line in Dallas and that what I believe will probably be one of the top two to three runners in the NFL in uh, Ezekiel, who I can never remember his last name, but it really doesn't matter. It's just Zeke to me. Thank you. Ezekiel Elliott. I was going to say Ekibon, but I know that that's that's a defensive lineman from North Carolina from like 1998. But you're close. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact is, they don't have a defense. I mean, that team's defense is awful. So while they may still be able to put up points, I just don't see the defense coming through and being able to stop anybody. And they won't, to me, they're not going to put up 28 points a game. They may put up 21, and that's going to be a problem. So I think he may be able to hold down the fort. If they go 3-3 three and three in the first six games, I'd consider that a minor miracle. All right, before we get to 
Let's talk a little bit of baseball before we get to college football. When the Yankees traded Chapman and Carlos Beltran and Andrew Miller, this was supposed to be the sign of a re- of a rebuild. It may not be a four or five year rebuild or a two or three year even rebuild. But this was a team that was supposed to pretty much fall apart. Why have they not? And who, Gary Sanchez has been a has been in the minors for years and he's been a prospect. What exactly happened? where he came out and either has turned into the next Yogi Berra or the next Kevin Moss. I haven't quite decided yet. Well, as Jake would say in the background, Gary Sanchez has always been able to hit. He just hasn't been able to field and, and uh, have pitch, pitch uh, framing ability. So he's worked on that a lot. And they, in the last two years, they really just needed to give him a position and when you have Brian McCann stuck back there with an $18 million salary, it's really hard to do that. So when they made that decision to go full board into the youth, they put McCann in at DH, and he'll probably play a little bit of first next year, and they committed to Gary Sanchez. And you know what? Sometimes it works out, and this time it actually has. And you're right. I'm not sure if this is Kevin Moss or Yogi Berra. I think it's probably a little bit in the middle because there's a whole lot in the middle between the two of those guys. And look, with Aaron Judge and Tyler Austin and some pitching prospects hopefully coming up next year, this is an exciting team. It may not be a World Series winning team, but if you told a Yankee fan like yourself at the beginning of the year, you're going to have these old guys who may make the playoffs, may, may make the playoffs, or you're going to have – a bunch of 22, 23-year-olds 22, patrolling the field who definitely won't make the playoffs, but you're starting a new era of Yankee baseball. I think you'd probably pick the latter. Yeah. And if you told me as a Yankee fan that... Continue. I was going to say, especially knowing your glamour and love for Mark Teixeira. <laughs> Well, and if, like, if, if you told me coming in that the Yankees through September 1 would probably have a better record than the Mets, or at a minimum, right at the same level. I mean, again, it's about around 500. I, I would be a bit taken aback. Now, you may not have been surprised by that, because if I remember correctly, you, you, thought, you had a higher thought on the Yankees and a, kind of a lower thought on the Mets. Thinking back to what we had talked about in our preview. I did. I definitely thought that the Mets would not make the playoffs. And I had the Yankees, I believe, in third place. Uh, I definitely did not have Baltimore in first. So that's number one. But I definitely uh, did have the Yankees in third. Uh, So I did think pretty highly of the Yankees. Uh, I will tell you, though, speaking of uh, the AL East, I did have the opportunity yesterday to go to the Sky Dome for the first time. And while I do like to uh, to make my rounds uh, in the Major League Baseball arenas or stadiums, Sky Dome was a pleasant surprise. I really didn't think I was going to like it going in based on all the reviews that I had seen. And, look, we've all seen Gary Carter's home run, uh, Gary Carter, Joe Carter's home run, where off of Mitch Williams, We've all seen pictures of the Sky Dome, which we think is a colossus. It was very quaint. 
it was very nice. I had a great seat on the first baseline, but it was it was a very nice stadium. I, unfortunately, I got sunburned on only half of my body because the sun was on the left side and not the right, so I looked kind of funny today. Kind of like Two-Face from, from Batman. Well, let's, but let's overall, be fair. You look kind of funny in general. Nah, fair enough. But the fact is, okay. it, it is a, it, if you're in the area and you want to see a baseball game, it's a very nice place to go see a game. Just don't go in April, early April, or late October. Because I guarantee you there'll be snow on the ground. But the roof will be closed. So, did they win? moving on to college, they did. And Josh Donaldson hit three home runs. And I Do you have him my, on any, of your, on any of your nine fantasy teams? He is not, but I did throw my little mini cap uh, for the ice cream onto the field as a sign of the hat trick. As did many well, it's Toronto. And to, but I was going to say, and it's the closest anyone in Toronto has come to a, to a hat trick in probably five or six years. Or at least since the Doug wow. Gilmore year. Wow, you went there. Yeah, I went there. I did go anyway, there. Anyway, so speaking of going there, I think the next place that we have to go is college football. And, and granted, I know next to nothing about college football. I do know that Syracuse will probably go 3-8. and eight. I mean, if I had to pick, and Maryland will probably go 4-7, and seven, if I had to guess. Give or take. Um, but give or take. I mean, a game here, a game there. But I know next to nothing about it. So I'm going to let you talk about the majority of this. I'll chime in when I do know something. But the biggest thing that I've seen, at least in my readings and and my research on this year, is that there are a lot of coaches in a lot of new places and pronounced coaches that have left, like if Mark Rick at Georgia is no longer. Like there are coaches that we would see in certain places that have been there for a long time that are no longer there and they've reemerged somewhere else. Well, I mean, you're both of our alma maters are, are a good place to start with that. Syracuse. Absolutely. Uh, we, Scott, I forget his last name. I should know this because he actually came to Maryland for a short period of time. And then Maryland, Scott then he Schaefer, left. <laughs> Scott Schaefer. Scott Schaefer. I uh, gets replaced by Dino, by Dino Babers who came from Bowling Green. So the hope is, which had a very has a very fun offense. So the hope is in the next couple of years you'll be able to build something there. Maryland uh, brings in, you know, fires Randy Edsel, which to be fair should have never hired Randy Edsel. Uh, thank you, Kevin Anderson, and brought in DJ Durkin, who was a highly thought of, highly regarded defensive coordinator from Michigan. And the turnaround, they're a top. They already have the, I think a top fifteen recruiting class coming in. The turnaround has been very quick for bigger names and for people who did not go to Syracuse and well, um, Maryland, the big name, as you said, is Mark Richt, uh, leaving Georgia after God it must be 15 years to become the head coach at his alma mater at Miami. He gets replaced by Kirby smart. Kirby smart was the, was Nick Saban's defensive coordinator for the last 10 years. And ironically, Mark Rick's defensive coordinator, Jeremy Pruitt jumps to Alabama to be the defensive coordinator for Nick Saban. Um, Clay Helton keeps the job at USC, which I think surprised everybody. And, you know, it's, it is a year of a little bit of jumping, but this is going to be the year. It's interesting. When you look at the NFL, the NFL is all about wide receiver. It's a wide receiver league right now. 
Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, Antonio Brown. Other than Adrian Peterson, there is no established running back, and I'm not, Todd Gurley's not there yet, where you kind of think of a net echelon. Oh, is this going to be a year of the running back in college football? You have probably the best prospect since Adrian Peterson and Leonard Fournette down at LSU. You have Christian McCaffrey. He probably should have won the Heisman last year at, um, at Stanford. You have, you have Nick Chubb, who's coming back from ACL surgery from at Georgia. Who, it could be a dark horse, but they, do, they always seem to underachieve. Um, you have Royce Freeman in Oregon, who ran for about 1,700, 1,800 yards. And you have Dar- Dalvin Cook, who is Warwick Dunn part two in, uh, down in Florida State playing for Jimbo Fisher. This is going to be the year of the running back in, in college football. And even a guy like James Conner at Pittsburgh, who in 14 was phenomenal. I think he had about 1,800 yards, and then he had cancer. He had, Hodg- he got non-Hodg- he had Hodgkin's lymphoma and was out all of 15. So he's back. So it's going to be a year. It's going to be the year of the running back in college football this year. Well, I can certainly appreciate that, and and you you might as well go to my Heisman Trophy candidate, and I think the guy that should have won it last year, and Christian McCaffrey. Look, this guy had more all-purpose yards than anybody in in college football last year. Uh, he is a three threat offense, three threat offensive weapon, uh, running, receiving, and returning. I don't think that – look, you got Deshaun Watson down in Clemson. Look at me. I'm actually pulling people out of my butt, who I know <laughs> is one of those Heisman Trophy candidates. I think it's going to come down to McCaffrey or Fournette, though. I really do think you're right in that it is the year of the running back. And, look, I saw Fournette last year against Syracuse. There was nobody that went from gear one to gear four faster. I haven't seen anybody in a long time do that. He's got Herschel Walker speed. Yeah, I mean, McCaffrey, forget last year. McCaffrey set the all-time record for single-season yards um, between about two, over 2,000 rushing, about 600 receiving and returns. Um, it is, college football is always fun to me. It is a, to me, it's a more fun game to watch than the NFL. Obviously, we all, you know, fantasy has made the NFL more enjoyable. But the actual games are more, to me, are more fun. And no, no one is more fun than watching a guy like Darwin Cook at Florida State, or Dalvin Cook, excuse me, at Florida State, who is just, he just moves. He's just extraordinarily fast. And, you know, we're talking about, I haven't even mentioned, you know, there was a Clemson, you talk about Deshaun Watson, who, Clemson, and there's a running back, Wayne Gallman, who had over 1,500 yards there. Nobody even knows his name. Um, there's a guy at Oklahoma who's now going to be, uh, He's going to be a platooning. In his freshman year, he ran for Sam, Samaje Perrine, who ran for over 1,700 yards. And he actually set a record for the most yards in a game with over 400 against Kansas. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot. Or he did that in 14. But, yeah, there's going to be a lot. And, there's, you know, when we go to the teams and we go to the conferences, we all know some of the big names that are going to be there. And the big question, and then this is this is more of a philosophical question. You know, can you ever see? Can you ever see a conference? Because obviously, right now, until inevitably they move to the eight-team playoff, which I hope happens relatively soon. The four-team, I think, is silly, and I think most of us think it is silly. 
can you see a team, can you see a conference ever getting two teams into the playoffs? Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't think, look, you, 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 I'm sorry, please. No, I mean, you can have conferences that don't have any teams with losses, right? I mean, uh, any teams with no losses. So if two teams have one loss and say the SEC has Alabama and Georgia this year, Alabama is undefeated and, well, and Georgia has one loss, why couldn't they both go? Because can you? I I have a lot of trouble imagining. Remember this: represent the representatives from each conference are making these decisions. And I, yeah. I this is a year where I kind of I wonder if they could actually do this. Because there are two conferences: the SEC and, surprisingly, the ACC, where I legitimately could see two teams go from each. Now we know there's always going to be a conference that's left out. The Pac-10 is always going to claim West Coast bias because. That's what the Pac-10 claims. But if that happens, and we're talking Florida State, Clemson in the, in the ACC, and we're talking Alabama, and in my mind, LSU in the SEC. And, you know, I wonder, and maybe I'll call it, someone who used to belong to, to backsportspage.com, he now runs Heartland Sports. I'm going to give him a call in the next couple of weeks to call in, which is the Big 12, um, Big 12 Network. Big 12 website where he's gotten actually a lot of publicity, uh, Peter Mundell, and see his thoughts on that. I have trouble imagining the Big 10, which may or may not have someone this year. Uh, it's not a great year for the Big 10, despite all the hype with Harbaugh. You know, if to have both the Big 10 and the Pac 10 not receiving, I think that would, in a lot of ways, expedite the, the transition. Plus, you could have almost you know, a Houston team like Houston who could go undefeated if they beat Oklahoma to start the year, or Notre Dame. You could be there. I I really wonder how. I wonder if the if the people who are doing this would have the part of my French have the chutzpah. Obviously, you have to keep two conferences out of the playoff. I'm not sure. Well, I, so got I guess two we'll things to say that. When did chutzpah become French? That's number one. And that is true. Number it is two, not secondly, thank you. <laughs> secondly, um, yeah, I don't think you're. Look, is Michigan probably going to go seven and zero before they get to Michigan State? Yeah, probably. And then they have to go to East Lansing, and let's see them beat Michigan State in East Lansing. It is possible for there to be no Big Ten team with less than two losses this year. Absolutely possible. Yeah. In fact, I, I, it, I think it's probably 50%, 50-50, that you're going to get 10 team with the champion of the Big Ten to have less than two losses. So if that's the two, case. Two losses or more. If that's the case, then it's a much easier argument. Right. So, okay, so that's one conference out, right? If Notre Dame makes it, you can definitely have a second power conference out without a problem, or a third, because you you always are going to have one. The Big 12 doesn't have a title game, so there you go. And you're always going to get that unfavorable task. So, to me, that's a second conference out. So, you automatically got two conferences out right there. So, all you got to do is get one more. 
to get two to get two teams from one conference. I think that can happen, especially if you get Florida State and Clemson, or you get Georgia and Alabama, or LSU and Alabama, each with one loss, or maybe LSU has one loss, and it's to Alabama in the title game, the SEC title game. I definitely right. think that can happen. In fact, like I said, I think it's probable that it will this year. I just don't think the Big Ten has anything, and I think you're going to see a, a Big Ten champion with two losses, which to me is an automatic thank you very much for playing and have a nice day. All right, so let's start jumping around the conferences a little bit. And we'll start in the SEC. The SEC, as usual, start, starts – the discussion starts and ends with Alabama. National champion, they've won four of the last eight years. Nobody has a clue who their quarterback is going to be. It's going to be a, it's going to be a platoon against USC in the opening game of the season. But they lose – they must have lost, I think it was eight players that were drafted, seven players drafted in the first three rounds. It doesn't seem to matter. They have probably the best wide receiver in college football in Calvin Ridley. Their team is so, you know, they, their team is so incredibly sound, it just doesn't matter. Um, the teams that are going to really be competing against them, when you, when you look in, that con- when you look in, in, the, in the SEC West, it's LSU. It's, it's Brandon Harris. It's a question of whether Brandon Harris can get any sort of passing game. And it's amazing when you look at LSU over the years, they've never really been known. Their receivers, you, you look at Odell Beckham, you look at Jarvis Landry. Um, they, they've had a few others that I, I'm forgetting off the top of my head the names. Um, but you never really think of them as a passing offense, even when they had Dante Cole, uh, not Dante Culpepper, who, Jamarcus Russell. They've always been a running, seemed like a running team. And the question is, in a team where they have a solid defense, they have the best player in college football in Leonard Fournette, is Brandon Harris going to give them enough to either, at a minimum, to either make, overtake Alabama or to, um, or to make the, make the, make the, or to make the, to make the playoff? I think those are the two teams you're looking at. You're looking at Ole Miss, Ole Miss as well. Although I have a feeling there may be some problems considering what happened at the draft with uh, Lundry Tunsil. Um, they still have Chad Kelly. There's still Hugh Freeze has really built a heck of a franchise down there, and they've beaten Alabama, or a heck of a school down there. They've beaten Bama twice in the last two years. And even, you, you know, going further down, um, it's – they're just – it's a stacked – it's a stacked side. You know, you have Arkansas, you have Texas A&M, which two years ago was the bell of the ball. And Kevin Sumlin has really fallen on hard times, and I wouldn't be surprised talking about a coach on the hot seat. And Auburn, which two years ago went to the title game, and Gus Mazon may be out if, they don't, if they're not any better this year. So, you know, Look, we'll see where it goes. The hard, yeah, the hard part about coaching in the SEC is that you are held to an impossible standard. You're held to the Nick Saban standard. And these guys are earning four to five million dollars a piece, and their team and their coaching coaching staff is on the hot seat because they're not Nick Saban. Well, there's only one Nick Saban. It would be kind of like the Jets and the Bills and and the Dolphins all comparing themselves to Belichick. It's just not possible. But I see what you're saying. 
I was still going to go with Alabama until they knock until somebody knocks them off. So I'm going to go uh, Alabama and then LSU. Someone knocks them off. And right. Well, it's, what's that's that? only in the one conference. That's only one the one division no. in the in the oh, SEC. I know. I got, yeah, yeah. I got the other division. Yeah. In the other division, I like Tennessee and Georgia being the first and second team, followed by Vandy and then Florida. Yeah, I, I like Florida a little bit more than that. But, yeah, Tennessee, this is you know, for Tennessee, the last five or six years we have been waiting for Tennessee. And led by Joshua Dubb, this should be the year that they take this division. Butch Jones has done a decent job. And without, if it's not then, Georgia just perpetually disappoints. They have the number one, the number one uh, freshman quarterback in the country in, in, in Jacob Eason. They have Nick Chubb, but it's hard to have much more faith because they just – we'll see what Kirby Smart does in his first year as a head coach. Florida is going to be fine. And in the rest of the division, Vandy and Missouri are pretty weak. Um, you know, I agree with you. I, pro- I would probably take Tennessee because every year I take Georgia and every time I get disappointed. And I'm going to take LSU over Alabama. The co- and I'll take LSU over Tennessee to win the SEC. I'll take uh, Alabama over Tennessee to win the SEC. And I think LSU may sneak in on that second second spot with the SEC. Right. Well, and we'll we'll get to we'll get to that in a little while. Going to the ACC, it really is. It's a two and a half team race. Um, as good as North Carolina was last year, and it's another team that we didn't actually mention where the coach left. Frank Beamer leaves after. 30 years of Virginia Tech doing a really building up a heck of a name in a really great tradition in Hokie land out in Blacksburg. Um, Justin Fuente comes in from Memphis, but I mean, let's be honest, this, the ACC is about two and a half teams, Florida state Clemson, and to a degree what Bobby Petrino is built up in Louisville. And, yeah, you're not going you know, to you, you get you're not going to get a dispute from me. Yeah. Other than Syracuse should get a nod somewhere in there. Yeah, you'll be you'll be fighting Boston College and Wake Forest for last place in the conference. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, again, new, new coach, you know, not much talent there. You know, it, you look at as we said, we mentioned Clemson. Even though they they made the championship, they lose Shaq Lawson, they lose Kevin Dodd. They're still stacked. Uh, Deshaun Watson is the best quarterback in football in college football. Wayne Gallman, we talked about. DB Sweeney, Devin Sweeney has built an amazing thing in a short period of time down there. Florida State, Jimbo Fisher just reloads. Uh, Sean McGuire is out as their quarterback, but they have another rookie co- a freshman coming in. Um, I think his last name is Grubois, and who they're already comparing terribly to uh, Jameis Winston. So we're not too far away there. You have you have Dolan Cook. You have a great defense. You, you, they're stacked. Louisville is just always Louisville is just an offensive juggernaut as they always are under Bobby Petrino. But they don't have they don't have the legs to deal with Florida State or Clemson. Jumping to the jumping to the the Coastal Conference. Um, it's kind of a little it's it's a lot of mediocre. I almost like Miami simply for two reasons. Number one, Mark Rick. Number two, Brad Kaya. Uh, the quarterback who's been splendid down there. Larry Fedora has done a nice job at North Carolina. I think those are the two teams you're going to be seeing fighting for it. I think Virginia Tech's probably a, a year away. I, w- I want to see Justin Fuente bring in some players first. And it's going to be 
it, it's going to be in my mind, it's going to be the winner of Clemson, Florida state, which I, I'm going to say Clemson um, over North Carolina, over Miami, excuse me, in the ACC title game. I'm going to say Clemson over Miami as well, because I think North Carolina gets hit with sanctions before the, before the title game, and they are not allowed to play in the postseason. The, the quarterback was DeAndre Francois. That was my problem. I, I was close. Whereas, Bois, Francois, let's call the whole thing off. Yiddish, um, Yiddish French, same, <laughs> same language. Uh, jumping around, as I said, we're kind of going through this pretty quickly. We'll go to the Big Ten. And the Big Ten is where my beloved uh, Terps are going to be mired in mediocrity for this year, although we do have some hope going forward. You look at the you look at the Big Ten East, and it just doesn't even seem fair. When when you when you see Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, um, Penn State's kind of been an interesting in an interesting situation. They're replacing Christian Hackenberg, who was number one recruit coming in, but never really materialized. And you know we'll we'll see how that plays out. But I, Ohio State brings back, you know, they had the three quarterbacks. Uh, JP Barrett's still there. They bring in a couple. They bring in another uh, five-star coming in soon. They lost so much talent this year that I think it's a little bit. I, I'm as, I'm a little bit hesitant, as much faith as I have in Urban Meyer, to say you know other than JT Barrett, you don't know who the, the running backs are untested. The wideouts are always solid, but I I think it's. I think as you as you and you said it, I think it's a down year in the big in the Big Ten. Um, I think people are a little bit too high on Michigan. Harbaugh did a, did a wonders last year, but they lost two coordinators. Their quarterback situation is not fantastic. Their team is not overwhelmingly talented, uh, although their defense is very good. I I I think they I think there's kind of a nine and three ten and two team other than Jabril Peppers, who's just an absolute stud. But in Michigan State, just kind of motors along, and Michigan State's beating them six out of eight, five out of seven, and no one's giving them any love, but I think they take a step back as well. Look, you got no arguments for me whatsoever. I think the two-loss two team wins the Big Ten this year, so I think they are definitely falling on hard times. I do think Michigan wins the wins – the, uh, Big Ten, but again, two losses, Ohio State and Michigan State. Well, and it, when you look at the Western Conference, it, it's almost like looking at the ACC and you look at the, at the Coastal. You know, after the three best teams are in one side, and then you have Iowa and Nebraska and Wisconsin probably fighting for the other spot. Um, Iowa had a sort of shockingly good year last year. They went, I think it was 11-1 and one before uh, losing – Really, Stanford annihilated them in the Rose Bowl before losing a very tight uh, Big Ten championship to Michigan State. Nebraska, I think, I think Nebraska turns it around. Um, they lost six, five games in the last minute. As, straight, as amazing as that sounds, and Mike Riley's not going to have much leeway. I think both teams go eight and four. I think Nebraska wins the West. I don't have a lot of faith in Wisconsin this year, especially starting the year down in LSU. Um, so I'm going to have I'm going to have Ohio State over Nebraska in the conference championship, and I have no, neither team. I have no nobody from the conference making the playoffs. 
Agreed. Let's move on to the Pac-10. Going to the Pac-10, the Pac-10 is stacked as usual, but unfortunately they're so stacked that they pretty much all beat each other up. You have four teams. You know, in, in the Pac-10 North, you have Washington, Oregon, and Stanford. Uh, Chris Peterson has done a splendid job in Washington. Jake Browning has to be take the next step as the quarterback there. The defense is solid. Uh, Stanford just reloads. Uh, Kevin Hogan has been there for about 15 years, it feels like. But huh, I'm talking very fast as I go through this. Um, but I, their, their schedule is too difficult this year in my mind. And then Oregon has Royce Freeman. And I wonder, and the name is escaping me, the coach of Oregon who replaced, Bilot, who replaced Chip Kelly. He's been there. For, oh, Mark Herzlick, or Mark, who took him to the championship game two years ago. But the team, they seem to have taken a step back. Um, and it may just be the overall difficulty of the, of the Pac-10. Um, I like Stan. I guess I like Stanford, but neither team really. Stanford over Washington in a close, in a tight race. Um, and then playing USC, excuse me, playing UCLA in the South. The South to me is UCLA and USC. Uh, UCLA, Josh Rosen, you know, interesting guy. You know, big mouth, big game. And if he can put everything together, Jim Moore can lead this team to a Pac-10 championship, potentially the Rose Bowl. Uh, USC, keeping Clay Helton, they have an amazing wideout. And Juju, Juju Scheister, I believe is his name. It's, it's a strange name. Um, but they, they start off playing Alabama. They're a team – the talent is not quite there yet at USC. And – We'll see how it goes. Ronald Jones is going to have to run the ball. Is going to have to be a phenomenal running back for them. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I like UCLA. I like Stanford over them in the uh, in the Rose Bowl, or in the uh, Pac-10 championship. Excuse me. I'm going to take Stanford over UCLA. Um, I think in the best in the best games, the best players come to play, and Christian McCaffrey will lead them over UCLA and into uh, the college football championship. All right, so we're going to the Big 12. And the Big 12, in my mind, there really is it's – it's a two-team race. It is – it's Oklahoma and it's TCU. Um, Oklahoma brings back – you know, they made the playoff last year, got beaten up by – I even forget. The games were so bad, I forget who beat up who. I think – I think um, Clemson beat – beat up Oklahoma and, and Alabama beat up Michigan state, but I could be mistaken. Um, otherwise it just flipped. Oklahoma brings back Baker Mayfield. They bring back uh, the running Joe Nixon and uh, Samaja Pitine, the running backs. Bob Stoops seems a little bit reinvigorated. Um, they're very, very talented. And they probably are the, I would say they're probably the favorite going in, um, but I do like, and I like them every year, because I think Gary Patterson is one of the, is probably one of the, one of the five best coaches in college football, and that, that you built a powerhouse at TCU is unbelievable. Um, you know, in a down year last year, they go 9-3 when their whole team was injured. I think they were on their fifth quarterback by the end. Um, TCU, their defense is going to be stacked this year. The question this year for a change, for the last two years, it's been different. But the question is running. The question is on the def, is on the offensive side. But 
I believe with Kenny Hill coming in from Texas A&M through transfer, I think they're going to they're going to have a good shot. And I think that's what you're looking at. Oklahoma State's a step back with Mason Rudolph, um, but TCU's got an easier schedule. And then you kind of look at Texas, and you know, I would. Can you imagine Charlie? Can you see Charlie Strong being fired down in Texas? Absolutely. If he doesn't have a good season this year, I think he's on his way out. I think they have given him. I think he's in his fourth year now. I think he signed he's signed a six-year no, he's going contract. Into, he's going into. He's going into his third year now. Third year, I'm sorry, going into his third year. So after three years, yeah, I don't. They don't have much patience down there, and I think that uh, they want Big Twelve championships. I don't think he's going to bring them one this year. And it's all about recruiting. So this is his third recruiting. Cl- like he's had two recruiting classes before this. So this, this should be the payoff year. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna be you have two quarterbacks. You have Tyrone Swoops and you have Shane Bouchelle. Um I agree I don't I don't think he I would be surprised if he gets fired this year. I would be. Um again, depending anything under five hundred I forget. But above but if we're talking eight and four, I think he'll have another year. And then it's gonna be just interesting to see how certain things plays out. The fallout from Baylor. I don't know how – I have no idea how that's going to play out because they still have some talent there, shockingly, although it seems like everyone, all, the, all, the, all the recruits have transferred. So going forward, it's going to be pretty dry. Um, West Virginia is always – under Dana Horrison is always difficult to defend. And then you have kind of the really bottom tier, which is Kansas and, and Iowa State. We'll see how that plays out. Um, Notre Dame – Notre Dame should be really – you know, kind of the big name. Notre Dame should be pretty solid. They have. They were a top fifteen team last year. They have two quarterbacks. Demarcus. Uh, they have Zaire, and I forget the other name. Um, Brian Kelly. I do wonder though if Brian Kelly at some at a certain point is going to just say enough, where he's been getting pressured. You know, Notre Dame does not have the same pizzazz as it did twenty five, thirty years ago. And the, you know, and as I always said, if I had my choice to play in California or play in Florida or play in South Bend, Indiana, well. California and Florida sound a lot better to me. Um, you know, there will be a couple surprise teams, as always. Houston is the one where it's going to be really – in the first week of the year, we're going to see where Houston is. If you remember, Houston went 13-1 and last year and beat Florida State in, in, the, bowl, in the Peach Bowl, uh, led by Greg Ward Jr. and Coach Tom Herman. We'll see if they can get past Oklahoma in the first game of the season. Look out. Because that is a team that could very well go undefeated, and that would play again a part into where are we looking at from conferences when we hit the CFP uh, in in January. Um, Army, Navy, you know, Navy's wanted about uh, is, Navy's been a consistent eight and four team. You can write it in every year, and you know that's kind of and that's really where it is. Army's just in the last fifteen years, Army just hasn't really been able to make much of a dent. So we kind of gone through, went through this on a very quick basis. And all right, so quickly, your four teams that make the college football playoffs. My four teams are LSU, Alabama, Clemson, and Stanford. Who do you have winning it all? Until you can tell me somebody can beat Alabama. I said it last year. I'll say it again. 
Alabama wins it all. Christian McCaffrey is your Heisman Trophy winner. All right. I'm going to say LSU, Clemson, Florida State. And I, I just can't do four. I just can't do the two teams in, in two divisions. So I'm going to, I'm going to step, I'm going to go to Oklahoma. Um, and I'm going to have Clemson behind Deshaun Watson winning it all. Um, so we my both husband, have, Watson, hold on. So we both, we both have two teams from one conference going. Yes. You, I have the ACC, you have the SEC. Okay. Just, just making sure we understand that. Okay. Yep. Here, my my uh, final five for the Heisman are Fournette, McCaffrey, uh, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, and Darwin Cook. And I'm going to have Deshaun Watson win the win it. Or win, win, or Deshaun Watson's going to win it. So that is your quickest 25 okay. minute uh, college football preview that we can do. We got two minutes left. Well, next week will be our our NFL preview, which I guarantee you I will contribute a little bit more than I did tonight. Um, (laughs) While I did, while I did give my uh, legal opinion and my moral opinion on the Kaepernick situation, uh, I left the college college football to the real expert. Uh, He really knows his stuff, and I really do not. So when it comes to the NHL, I'm sure we'll we'll flip it around, and it'll be my turn. (laughs) That being said, exactly. That that being said, I do thank Seth for uh, for helping me out on this one. And uh, you know what? He's the expert, but I'm going to get at least three out of the four of those in the championship right. Probably true. So we got about a minute to go. And I just want to talk. One of my favorite things, and I'm, I mean, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to go this year for obvious reasons as I look at my little five-week-old uh, sleeping right next to me is the U.S. Open. And, you know, it starts tonight or started this afternoon. Even if you're not a tennis fan and you live in the New York metropolitan area, it really is worth going once just to kind of get a feel for what it is. It's such an I think the guy from Hamilton is actually singing right the national anthem right now. Um, it's such an amazing event, and it's such a fun way to spend. You know, I'm not so, I am a tennis player, as some of you know, and I love tennis, you know, even to watch. But even as someone who doesn't, even people who don't enjoy it, just to go for the atmosphere is really a blast. And I would highly suggest anyone who's never been and has the opportunity to, to go, to try going once, especially early in the early, not the, not the quarters or the semis, but when you see all 50, all 50, all 30, uh, what do you call it, all 30 courts being utilized, and you can stand five feet from, you know, some of these players and see how fast the ball is going, it really is mind-boggling. Um, hopefully I'll be able to get there, but I don't really see it happening this, this, uh, this time around. So, anyway, next week's the NFL preview. We'll see. Maybe we'll do 90 minutes, maybe not. Uh, either way, for Sean Palmer, this is Seth Cameron's on the Seth and Sean Sports Radio Show. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks.